As I've talked to lots of people, um, and they're primarily singles who are very devoted to this ministry, they talk about their typical week, and there's like so many weekly responsibilities that they have to uh, choose to give themselves to. It's a really high level of commitment because they're really involved in this process of finding people of peace. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you're going to hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission and community and discipleship. Today's episode is from one of our coaching intensives called Made for Mission, where we coach others on how to practically live out the command of Jesus to go and make disciples in our Western context. So if you want to learn more about A Thousand Houses or check out some of our resources, visit one kh. So as we've been discussing the different pathways for mission, invitation where people are coming into your house, you're the person of peace, we're going to now dive much more deeply into who is actually built and called for this exploration part of the mission where you're going out and finding the person of peace. And so first of all, we need to think through uh, all the different steps you have to be prepared to do when you're in that exploratory mode. It's not as simple as just meeting people and saying, oh, maybe you're the person of peace, and then you know, spending a little bit of time with them. It involves, number one, finding the person of peace, and then, of course, sharing the gospel with those people, um, discipling them, and going through that process, and that can be very time-intensive. Also, community formation. And so if they're in their own sort of community or network of people, you don't necessarily want to extract them out. You want to build community where they're already at. And then, of course, if things start to really take off and solidify, you got to prepare them for multiplication. So this is a lot to put on somebody. And so that's why it's not everyone who's called during every season to go and find people of peace. We have to be really thoughtful about who is called to do that. And so we want to talk through three different profiles of people that are often made, that are often called to that kind of mission. Number one, uh, singles are often called to that kind of mission. People um, that are unmarried because they have the time and focus. Number two, uh, supported missionaries. Those are people who are actually, uh, their, their work, their vocation essentially, how they make their income is through being on a mission, being sent out in this way. And then number three, uh, people, adults that whose kids are now grown up, they're out of the house, oftentimes they are people who are uh, really prepared for this kind of a season. And so if we look at the New Testament, it appears that this first category was the most dominant of people that were going out and, uh, and seeking people of peace. Obviously, Jesus was that way. The disciples, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, were all single. And so Paul, when he was being asked by the Corinthians questions about, like, so what do we do with single people in our, in our church? Um, Paul sent back to the Corinthians the letter of 1 Corinthians, answered lots of different questions, including this one. But this one he answered in, uh, in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says some really interesting things that I think really relate to this profile, the unmarried person, and the reason why they are especially built for this season. So he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 32, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. So right off the bat, Paul says, the purpose of this sort of season of life or this calling of being unmarried is to do the Lord's work. 
but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. So this word that Paul uses for married people, he says, they are divided. They have to balance all of the responsibilities of building a family and being married with the responsibilities of mission. It's not appropriate for married people to abandon their responsibilities to their marriage and to their family for the sake of mission. You must balance those things. And so this gives a, an advantage to singles uh, to do the kinds of work that require a lot more focus. Uh, and so that's really what Paul is describing here. And then he finishes up by saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And so this opportunity to really give yourself to mission is really unique for people who are in that single stage of life. And so we want to really think about what that looks like. Now, in our area, there are, there's a ministry that has done and bared more fruit than I have ever seen anywhere in the United States for, uh, to really take and activate singles and seeing them not only uh, see lots of fruit as new believers coming into the kingdom, but also real disciples. Um, and that is the Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky area Young Life uh, Ministries. They, they have had such an outsized impact on our area for both uh, evangelism and discipleship. But as I've talked to lots of people, um, and they're primarily singles who are very devoted to this ministry, they talk about their typical week, and there's like so many weekly responsibilities that they have to uh, choose to give themselves to. It's a really high level of commitment because they're really involved in this process of finding people of peace in actual high schools. And so some of the things that they do on a weekly basis are they host club, and they have to prepare for that, which is sort of an outreach event. They host a, uh, another activity or event or program called Campaigners, which is more of discipleship and Bible study oriented. They have to do what's called contact work, which is to actually go to places where those teenagers are hanging out, like football games or whatever, so that they can meet people, make friendships. They have to go to a weekly leaders meeting where they are encouraged, built up, where they strategize and pray together. They have to do one-on-ones with students. And all five of these things they're typically doing in a, in a normal week while they're also oftentimes working full-time. And so this is a huge amount of responsibility, but that's typical for what it takes to do all the steps of finding people of peace, discipling them, preparing them uh, for community, building community, preparing for multiplication. All of those steps are required. You can't just find a person of peace and share the gospel. You really have to begin to build a community around those people of peace. And so what Young Life has done as a, as a ministry is uh, virtually identical to that Luke 10 process that we've been describing, um, but very narrowly targeted towards high school students. And so uh, we don't have to just do this for high school students. We can do this for any kind of network or any kind of group, but it requires a similar level of devotion and focus. And what's unique about our area's Young Life programs is that they actually call singles or those who are participating in Young Life to actually do these four or five, sometimes even more, commitments every single week in order to see real success. And they have really seen real success because they've made that commitment. So that's one group of people that have really made an impact or, or profile of people that can do the kind of work we're going to be describing uh, in this part of the course, and that is people who are single. I just want to briefly talk about a second profile of person, which are supported um, missionary families. 
So this group, I think, is fairly rare. That is, people that are in really the the uh, um, the heart of their life as a family, where they're having children, they're building their marriage, um, and they're thinking through how to provide for their family. Uh, sometimes they are called to, as a supported family, go out on mission and find people of peace, but they have to be prepared to do all of those five steps. And so that's the reason why sometimes this is a tough season for that. And so if they're going to do that, it's really difficult for somebody to be working a full-time job, for one of the, one of the, the husband or wife to work a full-time job and do all of those steps for, for ministry. Um, but if they're going to do that, oftentimes the better thing is for them to be supported either part-time or full-time. And so there are people who are called to do that. We want to support those families. Um, but oftentimes we, we prefer to see people go bivocational, spend time doing that at a, on a part-time basis, and then uh, really take advantage of those who were in the previous season of being singles or before they've had children. Uh, and then the last group that I would love to see way more of, uh, of people picking up this mission of, of finding people of peace are older families, people that are in that what's called often the empty nest period of their life, where their family responsibilities are on the decline, and so they can give more and more of their time to ministry. Unfortunately, where a lot of people in the church, if you are constantly being given a consumer message all the way through your life in a church setting where we're just basing things around you, where you don't have to give a lot of your time and energy uh, to, to make disciples in the church. Sometimes by the time people get into their late 40s or 50s and they're really prepared to go make disciples, they don't know how, they've never been called to that kind of sacrifice. Um, and that's what really want. we want to really find a lot more of these, these kinds of couples and uh, begin to train them and release them directly into this kind of a ministry. Because this is, this is something that we see also a pattern in the New Testament. So one of the things that Paul says is really interesting in 1 Corinthians 9 is he's talking about as a single person, he and Barnabas who are single, who are going out and doing lots of this kind of finding people of peace and making disciples and planting communities all over the, all over the Roman world. Um, he also referred to the fact that this was not just being done by him, but by, by Peter and by uh, the brothers of Jesus. So he says in 1 Corinthians 9, um, when he's talking to the Corinthians in that same letter, he says, don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What he's saying to them is that, that the Corinthian church was doing a really good job of supporting these older couples, Peter and some of the, the brothers of the disciples, that were going out as families or at least as couples. But because Barnabas and Paul were single, they weren't getting the kind of support that some of these, uh, these married older couples were getting as they were doing their, their journeys. And uh, so he was kind of you know, pushing back on that and asking the Corinthians to also support them as single missionaries. But what we really learned from this passage is this was a pattern. Even though we don't directly have stories about exactly how this pattern worked out in like a book like Acts, Paul's referring to it, so it must have happened. And we want to see this happen a lot more often. So that's another profile. So if you find yourself in that kind of season of life, I'd really encourage you to d dive deep into this particular part of the course. We want you to be trained how to go out and find uh, people of peace. So let me ask you guys, do you feel like this might be your calling? Is this something you might feel called to? Even if you're in that season where you are really bearing the brunt of, of building your family and this isn't a great season for you, I'd really encourage you to be aware of this and be looking forward to it and supporting those who are in seasons where this makes a lot more sense. We want to see you guys uh, really think about what it would take uh, to participate in what it looks like to build and, and uh, a ministry to find people of peace, build communities, and see them multiply. It is such an exciting part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. So uh, excited for you guys to think about that. 
really pray, is this a calling that you have? Do you know others who have this calling? And how might you, in whatever season you're at, participate in this part of the mission? Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you're feeling a yearning to learn how to make disciples in the West, we just want to invite you to join our Made for Mission Coaching Intensive, where we combine online content and personal coaching that's going to provide you with the teaching and the tools and the encouragement that you need to actually see disciples made in your context. So for more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash made for mission. We'll see you for the next episode.